Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Blame It on the Aliens. I'm your host, and today I'm very, very excited to be reading some creepy stories from Creepy Encounters subreddit and Shocker Glitch in the Matrix subreddit. Um, But these just feel different. They feel... um, more relevant, more creepy. I don't know what it is, but I just love these stories the most so far. This is probably, I know I said this last time, this is my favorite episode and I'm very excited for you guys to hear it. And don't forget, if you want to send me your own stories, send them to aliens at gmail.com. And without further ado, let's get into it. Good Samaritan almost put me and my three-year-old daughter in danger. I'm a single mom of a three-year-old little girl. I'm so blessed that I have the most amazing parents who live about 20 minutes away from me, and they keep her when I need them to. I live in the city next to their rural area, and you have to go down this curvy, wooded rural road to get to their house out in the country. My little girl had spent the night there with them the night before, and I headed out to their house the next day around lunchtime to eat with them and bring her back to our house. It was a pretty day, sunny, a lot of bikers out though, so I was on high alert driving there, as anyone speeding and not paying attention could easily hit a biker, which is a big fear of mine. I got there fun, ate lunch with them, and was headed back to my house driving on the rural road which I know like the back of my hand and typically speed on, knowing when to slow down and take certain curves, etc. My little girl requested I put on her favorite songs in the car, so I was kind of watching her sing as she sat in her car seat in the back of the car through the rearview mirror. As we drove back home, I caught a glimpse of something blue up ahead, just on the edge of the woods near the road. I was going fast enough that the image didn't quite set in as I approached them past it, but right after passing it, my brain finally processed that it was a blue older car. It was flipped upside down and was rammed into a tree. The road was empty with only one house near, and there weren't any ambulances or cars near, so at first I was like, what the hell? Truly, the wreck didn't look like it had just happened, but I knew something was wrong in my gut. I pulled my phone out and called 911 as I kept driving, not fully processing that this had just happened. 911, this is 911. What's your emergency? Me. Hey, um, I'm driving down Blank Road near Blank, and I just passed a blue car flipped upside down and looks like they ran into a tree. There wasn't anyone visible near the car and like no other cars around. I'm not sure if I was the first person on the scene or what. 911, what's your exact location? Is there a house close to the wreck? Try to find the nearest address. I'm sitting an ambulance out now. Was anyone visibly hurt or present at the scene? Me. No, I didn't see anybody when I passed, but I'm not sure. I didn't get a super good look. I'm about two minutes down the road past the car now, but let me turn around and go back. I have my three-year-old little girl in the car with me, just letting you know. I don't necessarily want her to see anything traumatizing, but I mean, I'll do what I need to do if I find anyone. The car looked super bad. It's okay. Don't get out of the car. Keep your doors locked. Just see if you can find the nearest address and I'll stay on the phone with you the whole time, okay? I turned around to the nearest driveway to me and drove back, speeding with my heart beating fast as I now realized Someone clearly might be severely hurt, and I just passed them by not thinking I was the first to arrive on the scene. I was scared, but in action mode, ready to deal with what I was potentially about to see inside the vehicle. When I got to the house I thought was closest to the wreck, the conversation picked back up with the operator. Me. 
Okay. I think I'm almost to the car. I see a mailbox coming up right here. Hang on. Okay. It's Blank Road. That's the house a little less than a mile from the car. I'm headed towards Blank. I see the car right here coming up on my left. Across from a sandpit looking area. It's a blue older four-door car. 911. Okay, great. An ambulance was just dispatched. It won't be long before they get there. Do you see anyone in or near the vehicle? Me. Oh, oh my God. Wait, yes. I see a man around 25 to 30. He's standing in the middle of the road. I pull up next to the man with my doors locked, rolled my window down with the phone still to my ear and 911 listening to me speak. I immediately say, oh my God, are you okay? Is that your car? The guy is slurring his words a little, clearly very injured, but still standing and not in critical condition. He says, yeah, I'm fine. That's when I notice a large wound on the side of his head with blood all over it. I say, oh my God, you're, you're bleeding. You aren't okay. I'm on the phone with 911 right now and they're sending an ambulance. Just don't move. I hear the 911 operator asking me if he was okay or if he was hurt in my ear. I say, no, he's not okay. He's bleeding from his head. But he's standing on the side of the road. I see the guy's face go from concerned about getting help to fully panicked and flat. He says, is that 911 on the phone? Hang up. I need you to drive me up the road right now. Hang up the phone. The operator hears him say this and she says, is your daughter in the vehicle with you? I say, yes, I can't drive this man anywhere. I'm not letting him in my car, especially with my little girl in here. Meanwhile, my daughter is silent in the back seat, taking everything happening in. That's when I look down and notice the man isn't wearing shoes. He's standing with bare feet and there's a large wet stain on his blue jeans which I immediately realize is pee. I can smell alcohol on him, and he isn't even standing that close to me. I work in the medical field, and I deal with traumatic brain injury patients often, so I immediately wondered if maybe he had some kind of brain damage from the impact and began telling the operator, oh no, he's, he's not okay. I think he's hurt. I look at the man, staying as calm as matter-of-fact as I can, and tell him, I'm so sorry. I just can't drive you anywhere. My little girl's in the back seat. I really don't feel comfortable doing that. I didn't see anyone in the vehicle when I passed, so I had already called 911. I think you do need to let them come. I can't let you in my car, but I will park over here and make sure you're okay until they get here. The man is visibly panicked and now pissed off. He starts yelling, tell them not to fucking come. Hang up the phone. My heart literally stopped beating. I began slowly and gently pressing the gas, rolling past him to indicate I'm leaving. The 911 operator in my ear says, pretend to tell him not to come and pretend to hang up with me, but keep me on the line. So that's exactly what I do. Me. Hey, I think he's okay. He, he says he doesn't need any medical help. He does live really close to here. So actually just don't worry about sending an ambulance out. Sorry for the miscommunication. Okay, thanks so much. Fake hang up. I set my phone face down in the passenger seat and tell him that I was going to go now, but that I hoped he was going to be okay. That's when I noticed his pocket bulging with something silver peeking out. I knew right then this man was armed and I had to get the hell out of there. I smiled and said, I was so sorry I couldn't help, but then quickly rolled my window up and sped off, turning around further down the road and passing him again at 65 to 70 miles per hour on a 45 mile per hour road. I was crying hysterically, and I pick up the phone to tell the 911 operator what had just happened. She said, it's okay. You did the right thing. You played it cool and appeased him. We have the address and the ambulance is already less than five minutes away. As she asked me for my name and identifying information, I see and hear sirens further up ahead. Thank God for that 911 operator coaching me through the situation. I still don't know what happened to the man, but I do know he was clearly intoxicated, dangerous, and fully panicked, 
which is a scary combination that will make people do things without thinking clearly in an instant. My little girl asked, Mommy, was that man hurt? I saw a bobo on his head. I said, Yeah, he's okay. He did get a bobo. I think he was playing and bumped into a tree. A nurse is going to come and give him a Band-Aid. I'm sure am glad we could help him. She was satisfied and smiled, continuing to listen to the music and sing when I turned the radio back on. A terrifying and creepy-ass encounter, to say the least. I think someone else is living my life. I, 32 female, have been having multiple instances where people tell me they've talked to me when I can't remember that ever happening. At first, my husband, 35 male, and I thought I was just forgetting little things because it started with one of the other moms in the neighborhood asking me why I didn't bring cups and napkins for the monthly get-together our neighbors have. I told her I didn't know I was supposed to bring cups just that my husband was told to bring sodas, so we did. She said that we had seen each other at the grocery store, and she mentioned it to me, but I honestly didn't remember that conversation at all. My husband and I sheepishly apologized, and we figured I just didn't listen well enough, and it was my own fault. Not a big deal. I mean, people forget things. Then at work... I'm a teacher at our town's middle school. One of my students asked where the pizza was when the class arrived for fourth period. I thought he was just being silly. So I said, lunch isn't until sixth period. But the whole class was starting to get antsy when I just continued with the lesson. I finally asked why no one was paying attention. And another student of mine said they were waiting for the pizza. I said, what pizza, because this was the first time I was hearing about it. The class told me that on Monday, I had promised a pizza party for them on Friday if they all turned in their notebooks, which they did. Now, this is what really confused me, because that Monday, I had missed fourth and fifth period due to a mess in the teacher's lounge. Coffee was spilled, and I had to quickly rush home to clean up and change, which my principal allowed. And my boss told me he'd send a substitute to cover for me that moment. I was never in my classroom for that fourth and fifth period. So how did all of my students remember that I promised a party? I told the kids the sub might have been the one that said it, not me, but I just wasn't aware. This really upset them. But what else could I do? I never said that, but all the students swore I was in the class that day, and I had, in fact, promised. More situations like this just kept happening, but I really didn't take it too seriously until it started getting weirder and more personal. It didn't stop at the conversations I was never part of either. One night, my husband was grumbling about cold water in the shower and hair in the drain, so I asked him why he showered in cold water. This really seemed to annoy him. Like it was a choice. You spent like an hour in the shower and he didn't pull your hair from the drain when you got out. He snapped at me. What are you talking about? I haven't even showered yet, I said, because I really hadn't. I was going to shower in the morning. Well, the hair in the drain was yours and I heard the water running for an hour when I passed by the restroom and I know it wasn't Charlie. Of course it wasn't Charlie. I was downstairs with him the whole afternoon. Charlie, five-year-old Mel, is our only son. He didn't really say anything else, but I could tell he wasn't satisfied with my answer. In hindsight, this should have been a much bigger red flag to me about this whole situation. But, I mean, I chalked it up to just my husband being a little distracted. Another time, I woke up on a Saturday and went to the kitchen to make my morning coffee. But there was already a pot that had been made. My husband doesn't drink coffee, and obviously my five-year-old didn't make it. Maybe I had made it last night and forgot to throw out the leftovers, right? The coffee was still hot. 
It made me feel very concerned, but I stamped down any alarms going off in my head and made my toast. Now, I make toast in a very specific way where I make three pieces with butter and one smear of peanut butter, one of strawberry jam, and one of Nutella all on the side of the plate so I can dip my toast. I know it's not practical, but I like it this way, and my husband has always found it a bit strange. Whenever I've asked him to make my toast, he puts the condiments on the bread, which doesn't bother me. Well, I took my toast upstairs to my room so I would watch the morning news in the bedroom, and there was already a plate of half-eaten toast on my nightstand. I felt sick seeing it. I knew for a fact my husband didn't make it, nor did he make the coffee, because he was still sleeping. I had to be losing my memory, and it terrified me. I started writing down my daily activities so I could keep better track of what was going on, and aside from a few people in my life claiming to have conversations with me that I wasn't able to remember, things seemed to get a little better. Until two weeks ago. My husband got home from work, and I was on the couch watching TV. You guys back already? Back from what? I asked. When I had gotten home, I fed Charlie and played with him for a little bit until he fell asleep. I left his room, went to the restroom, and went to the living room to watch TV. The park. You told me last night you were going to take Charlie. I sighed, frustrated that my memory kept slipping. I must have promised to take Charlie and then just forgot. No, we didn't go to the park. He's sleeping right now. My husband went to check on Charlie, but immediately came back. Wait, where is he sleeping? His room. No, no, Charlie's not in there. My blood turned cold. I never heard him get up, and I know for a fact I had put him down to sleep in there just an hour ago. We both started screaming his name and searching the entire house for him, but we couldn't find him. I started crying as I looked for him because we had never had a situation where we lost our son. My husband, in a panicked voice, said that maybe Charlie had gone to the park without me. The park was right next to our neighborhood, only a 10-minute walk, so it wasn't impossible. We took off running towards the park, and I cried harder when I saw Charlie waiting for his turn on the slide. My husband grabbed him and started inspecting him for any harm and asking him why he left the house by himself. I didn't. Mommy brought me. There Mommy is. He said innocently, waving at me with a small smile. I shook my head. No, baby, I put you down for a nap. You came by yourself. No, I mean, I was going to go to sleep, but you came back from going to pee and we walked. Charlie explained like it was obvious, like I should have known. A neighbor of mine must have ever heard and joined in the conversation with, yeah, I saw you guys walking over and I actually decided to bring my girls over too. We were chatting on the bench a little while ago. What? I breathed, my mind racing. I hadn't been to the park all day, and yet my own son was claiming we walked over together? This was really the first time the thought that there was someone else pretending to be me, someone acting in my place in town and at my job came to mind. And if that wasn't scary enough, that means... Whoever it was was in my house with my son. She had taken my son. Either I was actually losing my mind or someone else was living as me. Later that night, I told my husband my thoughts and after we had calmed down over the park incident, he didn't know what to think. In a quiet voice, he mentioned that some of his co-workers had said they thought that they had seen me at a bar close to where they worked. It was the bar where their company would go to after work to unwind. He said they saw me drinking and having a good time, even getting a little flirty with some of the patrons there. He told me he knew it wasn't me. I had a drinking problem in my 20s. I've been sober for nine years, and he figured... It was just someone with a similar face. I cried again. I couldn't help it. 
this wasn't normal. It wasn't like people around town were seeing someone who looked very similar to me. This was someone else pretending to be me. What do you want? I remember gasping out between my sobs. My husband just held me, but I don't think he could understand what it felt like. The next day, he installed cameras in and out of the house, and I was obsessed the second I had access to the footage. I stayed in my room for three days, missing work, just to stare down the grainy footage for a glimpse of the other person. I didn't see much except for my husband and son continuing life as normally. So on day four, I finally showered and got ready for work. I kissed my husband goodbye and went to work. Since I had been gone without calling in, my bad, I had a lot of work to catch up on once the students went home, so I didn't finish until about 6.30 p.m. Usually, I got home around 4 p.m. When I got home, Charlie was watching TV and having a snack. Hey, buddy, where's daddy? I asked as I set my stuff down. Upstairs, he said absentmindedly, his eyes glued to the TV. I locked the door and went up to our room, wondering why my husband left Charlie all alone. He was fine, but still, he's only five, and I didn't like leaving him all by himself for too long. When I opened the door, my husband was naked on the bed, his eyes closed and a blissful smile on his face. I quickly closed the door behind me and walked up to him. What's with the birthday suit, stud? I joked, lightly poking him on the stomach. His skin felt flushed. Sleepily, he opened his eyes to smile at me. Don't act coy, babe. Why'd you get all dressed? Are you going somewhere? I blinked. Huh? I didn't just get dressed. I just got home. At this, my husband sat up a bit straighter, his eyes flittering from me to the closed restroom door. No, you're... No, you're joking, right? Babe, you've been here since four. The pit in my stomach was growing and growing fast. I shook my head slowly, my breathing becoming a bit more jagged. I started feeling lightheaded. My husband was getting pale. Babe, I got home and you were here. You put Charlie to watch some cartoons and we started fooling around. You said you were sorry for being paranoid lately. He sounded like he was begging me to confirm with his words, but I couldn't. We both looked to the restroom door. After sex, I always went to freshen up in our restroom. She was in there. I stumbled back, my hand reaching out for my husband, and he held it. The tight feeling in my chest started to burn. My whole body felt overstimulated and I couldn't breathe. How long did she, did she just go in there? I whispered, 15 minutes. Finally, on shaky feet, my husband stood and urged me to hand him the bat under our bed. He inched towards the door, his shaky breathing the only sound in the room. I could barely hear it over my own heartbeat pounding in my ears. He swung the door open and I screamed. It was empty. I panted heavily, my blood feeling like acid inside of me. Everything hurt when we looked around inside. There was some water on the counter like she had been washing her face. The hand towel was damp and my lotion bottle was open. I felt cold air on my back and I turned to see our restroom window open. It was a small one, usually only opened when one of us needed to let some air out or when we had number two. She would have had to shimmy her way out. And if she was my exact double, it would have been a tight squeeze. Sure enough, when my husband got closer to close the window and lock it, he said the paneling felt loose like she had busted it in her escape. I held my husband while we cried, and I couldn't imagine how violated he felt. This was so much to take in. We checked the cameras that night, Charlie sleeping between us on our bed. I didn't feel safe without him out of our sight. The footage was horrible. 
I saw myself come through the door, but it obviously wasn't me. She put her fucking hands on my son and I had to clap a hand over my mouth to keep myself quiet to avoid waking Charlie. She held him in the living room on her hip and kissed his sweet little face. Even writing this now, my hands are shaking, thinking about this imposter in my house with my baby. We quickly fast-forwarded through the footage of her in bed with my husband. He cried a little more watching it, and I felt sick. There was no camera in the bathroom, though. I wish I could say that there was something I saw in that footage that showed me that this woman was clearly an imposter, but the fact is, there wasn't. She moved with my exact same mannerisms. She comforted my son exactly how I did, and she looked exactly like me. Clearly, down to my exact body and voice, since my husband couldn't tell a difference. She had to have been watching me for a long time to be able to mimic me to a T. This week, I haven't left the house. My husband goes to work and he tells me how unsafe he feels. He can't leave the house without looking over his shoulder. We tried filing a police report, but with no evidence, they didn't do much. They took the footage in our statements, but we haven't heard back. I wouldn't be surprised if they think it's a joke since the woman looked exactly like me. My husband was at work and I was on the couch downstairs typing up a lesson plan for my substitute. I can't go back to work. I can't do anything without feeling like the other woman was going to do something sinister now that she knows I know for sure. Charlie came running down the stairs, a big smile on his face. I smiled back at him and he immediately froze. His joy sliding right off his expression, replacing it with confusion. He looked at me with these big, glossy green eyes before he squinted suspiciously. How did you beat me? What do you mean, baby? I asked, tilting my head to the side. We were playing upstairs. You told me I can get a juice, but how did you beat me here? I had to fight the bile that rose in my throat. It felt like gravity had just stopped working and everything was weighing down on my shoulders. I realized I was shaking. Charlie, baby, come here. Sit with mommy. I heard myself say. My voice was rough in my mouth like sandpaper and I didn't even feel Charlie as he bundled over. My body was numb. I typed this all out so fast, so ignore any spelling mistakes. I wanted to flee to call 911, but my purse is upstairs and my keys are inside of it. My phone is charging too. I'm begging you guys for help, please. I don't know what to do. And I can hear her now. She's calling for Charlie, asking him to come back upstairs. She sounds just like me. I'm so, so scared shitless right now. I'm still shaking like a fucking chihuahua. I hear her footsteps up there. She's definitely in the house. Please fucking help us. Elevators freak me out. The first time my mom believed me that weird stuff happened to me regularly. First off, I know this is nothing compared to other stories on here, but I chose to share because why not? Before and after this incident, several other things did and continued to happen to me. Strange things. I have just gotten used to it and have learned to appreciate them. So when I was about eight, 2001, My mom, brother, aunt, and grandma had all traveled to Chicago to see Dinosaur Sue. We'd been staying in a hotel nearby for about five days. It was very upscale, new, and overall very nice. Those entire five days, my mom would let me run ahead to the elevator when returning to our room for swimming, getting ice, etc., and let me ride up alone, since our room was right to the left of the elevator when you got off and my grandma would always have the door cracked. 
So one day on the way back from the pool, literally just got out wet hair, suit, towel. I did the same, ran ahead, entered the elevator, pressed the button for the seventh floor. There's only one elevator in this hotel, by the way. Once I got to the seventh floor, which I knew by the signs outside the elevator, I went to the second door to the left, like I had 20 times before that week. I knocked and knocked, nothing. I remember becoming weirdly alarmed at this point, best way I can describe it. Even though I was smart enough to know I could always just return to the lobby or that my mom would be arriving shortly. So while wondering why my grandma wasn't answering the door, I returned the few feet to the elevator. I waited for my mom and brother, and I saw on the display that the elevator was arriving on floor seven, the floor I was on, which clearly was written on the sign. I see the light near the elevator ding, the doors open, empty. At this point, I just feel something is very off and return to the door, knocking and crying now, getting cold because I'm still very wet from the pool. Finally, after no more than one minute, a very old woman answers the door and says, Dear, I told you already yesterday, this is not your room. I had never been there yesterday. She then said, It'll be fine. I'm very sorry, but I'm on the phone with my son. Give it a few more minutes. Your mother is coming. And the freaking door closed. I was shocked. I, I knew I was cute. And how could anyone close the door on a crying kid who lost their mother, especially a woman who seemed like the caring grandmother type? Almost immediately after she closed the door, the elevator opened and my mom ran out crying and grabbed me. She was saying, oh, honey, where were you? I have never been so worried. She then went to open the door, not our room. She was stunned. The whole time, I'm trying to explain I had been here and my timeline of events had only been about five minutes her still hugging and holding me, she kind of just went into autopilot and went back to the elevator with me. She pressed seven again. The doors closed super briefly and then reopened. The elevator didn't move at all. Once the door opened, we both saw my grandmother standing in the second door to the left crying and then very happy, running to hug us. Apparently, I had been missing for 45 minutes. Police were called. Every floor had been gone to. They were still in the process of knocking on all doors, opening even locked vacant rooms. Apparently, my mother had decided to once more go and look at the pool to see if I had returned there. Then, after seeing it empty, she took the same only elevator back up to seven, only this time Out of the multiple other times that day, she found me. And not only that, we were clearly not in the elevator hiding out, as it was the only one. And the police and staff had gone up and down the elevator multiple times looking for me. We still talk about it to this day and can't explain it. My hair was still wet. The police were kind of pissed until the hotel staff pulled up the camera showing me getting on the elevator but never getting off. Then, what was the creepiest was that when my mother got on from the lobby, you can see her get on, then 10 minutes passed, and then she gets off at floor 7 with me in her arms. They went through all cameras on all floors, which had very clear angles of the elevator on each floor. Nothing. I swear, the staff was freaked out, as were the police. They were almost convinced something or someone had taken me and then become freaked out and left me shortly after. They were stumped as to why my hair was still wet, but they couldn't refute the cameras as they were high resolution working correctly and everything. Update 2. Looking at possible hotels it may have been, trying not to invest too much in my mom saying it might have been the Doubletree until I look at pictures. It is yet again under renovation. I'll keep you updated. I also called the police station and they have no clue what I'm talking about. What the fuck? 
And I find it weird that no one in my family can remember the name of this hotel. Even my grandma, who has traveled the world and remembers every place she's ever stayed, can't remember the name. A former coworker is back from the dead. This is one of the biggest personal glitches I've ever had. I work in the admitting department of the local hospital, and I also help the business office with miscellaneous billing duties. One of the things I do is keep track of obituaries. When someone's obituary appears in the newspaper, I check to see if they still owe the hospital money. If they do, I clip the obit, fill out the form, and then keep track of how their insurance pays and whatnot. A few years ago, I've been working there 20 plus years. One of my coworkers in the dietary department retired and passed away soon after. I know because I processed her obituary. This coworker's daughter was really good friends with my cousin. So the daughter was even over at my cousin's house the day after my coworker's funeral. They had a big wake for her mother and everything. Today, as I'm working ER registration, the daughter comes in and says her mom is in the ER. I was brought up short and I thought, oh, what? I didn't say anything for a moment, so my office mate had to step in for me and look up his, this lady's mother. Sure as shit, it's the woman who died years ago. My office mate lets the daughter back into the ER to see her mom, and I'm unable to find the obit form I filled out. Edit one. I heard back from my cousin, and he's as weirded out as I am. Coworker's daughter has no memory of the wake or anything, but she said she's been getting this stuff from the people around her from the past few days. People remember her mom dying, even funeral details and like, but coworker's daughter doesn't remember any of it. Plus, her mom is right there. It's freaky. Edit two. Spoke with cousin instead of texting him. Coworker's daughter said it was her dad that had died and not her mom. But she also said that that's not the way any of the people who run into her remember it. They're asking her where her dad is. How is he today? He's not answering his phone or text, etc. And to her, the man has been dead over 10 years. Edit three. I've been asked if I had any close calls or moments where I could have slipped from one universe to another. And yes, I mean, there was one. It was a little over two years ago. I was getting my evening medications together, but I was tired and screwed them up. I ended up taking an entire full bottle of glipizide, which is a medication that lowers your blood sugar. I accidentally took enough to kill a horse. I realized it right as I laid down for a nap due to extreme exhaustion, and I felt really weird going to sleep. Looking back on it, I think I fell asleep forever there and woke up here. Edit four. My goodness, thank you for the awards. Edit five. While the vast majority of you all have been lovely, I've been getting some really angry replies and private messages about what happened with the glipizide. I'll post here what happened to me with the medication, and I don't know what more I can add. This is how the incident occurred. If you don't believe me, that's fine, but take your vitriol and anger somewhere else, please. Here's what happened. I take a lot of meds for a lot of stuff, epilepsy, diabetes, etc. So I have a lot of empty pill bottles just lying around. That day, I had an empty pill bottle with the label still on it, so I figured I'd just grab all of the evening med doses from out of my bedroom, take them to the dining room, and just swallow them with my dinner. I've done it loads of times before. Like I said, I was tired that night, so when I pulled out my bottle of clipizide, I got my dose and then accidentally closed the bottle with my evening meds in it, put it back where the bottle of glipizide went, and then took the full bottle of glipizide with me to the dining room. I just wasn't paying attention. 
I didn't look at the bottle when I took my meds that evening. I just threw the pills back and swallowed them with dinner. The pills were tiny, and all I noticed was that they didn't feel quite right in my mouth. I didn't think anything else about it, though, because the idea of taking a whole bottle of pills seemed ludicrous to me. What kind of idiot would do something like that? Me, apparently. When I stumbled back to my bedroom, I checked the bottles because something was very, very wrong. I discovered the rest of what should have been my evening meds in the bottle I had mistakenly put in the glipizide place. And that's when I saw I had downed a bottle full of glipizide. I wanted to grab my husband, holler, shout, do anything, but my body was made of lead. I could only crawl over to my bed and flop on it. And when I woke up, everything was fine. That's what I mean by going to sleep there and waking up here. I don't think I woke up there. I think I died there and woke up here. The glitch that basically created a second me. This is my first time posting in this group, and I don't know if my story corresponds with community guidelines, but here it goes. When I signed up for university, I went to campus for the first time to make it all official. I waited in line behind all the excited first years to be. When it was my turn, I sat down behind the desk of the woman who was sorting the enrollments. They asked for the usual information to get started, first name, last name, date of birth. After I'd given the woman this information, she frowned and looked very confused. Uh, miss, you can't be enrolled in the course because you've already signed up three days ago. Now, I was equally confused as she was. Excuse me? This must be an error? I definitely haven't. The woman looked back at her computer screen and once again confirmed my last name, first name, and date of birth with me. Nope. I'm afraid that's not an error. You even enrolled in a nursing program three days ago. I just sit there, completely baffled, start panicking slightly. I wasn't there to become a nurse. I wanted to become a teacher. This woman turns her computer screen to me and goes, see, photo and everything. When I see the photo on the screen, I'm even more confused. That girl looks nothing like me. She's got completely different features and well, she's a blonde, and I have red hair. We come to the conclusion that this girl must have the same first and last name as me, and what an odd coincidence. She's also born on the same day as me. They fix the problem by adding an apostrophe to my name in the system, and, and frankly, I didn't think much about it more after that until... About a year or so later, I started receiving emails, phone calls, letters, bills, all addressed to me, but meant for this mysterious other girl. I got phone calls about lost items, bills from insurance companies, emails for hospital appointments, you name it. Naturally, I try to find this girl on social media to get in touch with her and make her aware of what's going on. After loads of searching, she doesn't use her full name on Facebook. I finally managed to find her. This is when I made some creepy discoveries. Not only does she have the first name, last name, and date of birth as me, her sister also has the same name as my sister. I find out whereabouts she lives, which is only one street away from my previous apartment. And I find out she scheduled a hospital appointment for a health issue I also have. At this point, I have tried reaching out to her on multiple occasions to no avail. I just can't seem to get in touch with her. And the instances of mistaken identity just keep piling up. Seriously considering changing my name at this point. Update. Lots of people saying about it possibly being identity theft. 
I think that's very unlikely because of the fact that we all use ID cards where I live and where I do have to use my ID card. There's never been any problems. So she must have a unique number on hers and hasn't just copied mine. Also, I found out through a picture of her diploma on social media that she's got a different place of birth than me. Update two. I've just gone to the police about it and they were really helpful and have immediately checked in the system and this other me is legit. She indeed has the same first and last name, date of birth, and her sister's name is the same as my sister's. Honestly, the police couldn't believe what they saw. The officer who checked it in the system was suspicious himself when I told him the story. But when he found out it was all legit, he was laughing and shouting his coworker over, come check this out. Time to change my last name, I guess. This happened to my sister and I when I was seven or eight. My sister is two years younger than me. Now we live in Australia, so basements aren't a thing. But sometimes really old houses might have a wine cellar. The house we lived in was built in the 1940s, maybe even earlier. It was an old brick house with a strange layout. The rooms just felt off to me. Like the flow of the house just felt wrong and Even the rooms felt like they were in the wrong spots. We had a wine cellar underneath the house, which we accessed through the backyard. One section was open. The west side had a wall, which was built with the bricks with holes in them, so light would filter through them during the daytime. The rest of the cellar was like a big underground room or rooms. You could stand up and and walk further into the adjoining room on the cellar, which led to a smaller opening into the brick, which an adult could crawl through. Once in here, it led to each individual room under the house. This was so any electrical problems could be fixed. Also, the inside floors were heated, which was great in the winter. Yes, it does get cold in Australia in the winter. This house was always cold and made me feel uncomfortable and scared as soon as the sun would go down. My sister and I have experienced a few things in this house as well as my dad. However, this particular incident was absolutely terrifying. My sister and I were playing in our cellar with our dog. We looked up and in the darker area of the cellar stood a figure. It was a male and he was looking at us, not saying anything. Although I've since spoken to my sister and she thought he said hello maybe telepathically because I heard nothing. But I had the most overwhelming sense of fear and absolute dread fill my body. My chest was tight and I was frozen with fear. We knew what we were looking at was evil and not human. The figure looked at us. My sister told me that she vaguely remembered him having yellow eyes. However, I never looked at his eyes because something else about him was so terrifying, I couldn't look away from that. He then started to walk further into the darkness in the cellar, then turned back to look at us again. He moved his head as if he was trying to beckon us to follow him. He gave us a terrifying grin as he looked at us. It looked like he wanted to hurt us. I was so afraid. We knew it was evil. We could feel the heaviness of his presence in the cellar. I'm not sure how long we stood there for. I just wanted it to be over. Then my little sister grabbed me and we ran out of there and up the footpath back into the house, screaming and crying to mom and dad, telling them what had happened. I remember dad running out there to look around, but he found nothing. I still have nightmares about that house that like I'm trapped It was one of the most terrifying things I've ever experienced. Also, never went back into the cellar again. Two of us teleported, and now things are off. My coworker and I were driving back from dinner to the place we were staying at. We had driven this route a handful of times and were very familiar with the surrounding area. It was a seven-minute drive from the restaurant to where we were staying. Okay, 
So we left the restaurant and had a straight drive for about two miles. No turns until we had to take a right turn into the parking area of the property we were staying at. As we approached the hotel, the tall courtyard by Marriott sign was visible, as was the building. We were a block away from the turn and then we just suddenly weren't. We were all of a sudden driving on a highway, about to take an exit on the right. It was immediately apparent, and I said to my coworker, wait, something's wrong here. And he replied, wait, yeah, what the hell just happened? We were just about to turn into the parking area. I told him to pull over, and I looked up in the maps where we were. The map showed me we were 20 minutes away in the opposite way we had come from was physically impossible and the time on the clock was still the same as it was when we were next to the hotel i don't understand and neither does he and he doesn't want to tell anybody because it sounds so crazy we teleported 20 minutes away it was the single most disorienting feeling i've ever experienced but now after that i feel like everyone in my life has just changed Everyone feels so distant. I can't shake the feeling that something is still very off. Please help. Thanks so much for listening to Blame It on the Aliens. That concludes this episode, and I want to personally thank everybody who has given me permission to read their stories on my podcast and it does not go unnoticed I'm going to be linking their stories and giving them full credit in the description of this episode and thank you so 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 much for listening and giving me positive feedback it means the world to me and I've really enjoyed doing this and I can't wait to just continue this and if you have any personal reddit stories that you want me to read even if they're not your own and you found some some reddit posts that you think i should read reach out to me at blame it on the aliens at gmail.com and i will look at it and would love to read it so thanks again everybody and i'm so looking forward to reading more stories next week